Hey guys, it's Editing Katie. I wanted to make a little preface for this video. There were some incorrect um, or slightly untrue things that I said I will be cutting in throughout the video to correct those. So yeah, enjoy the episode. Scrumptious. Hi there, beautiful people. My name is Katie. Welcome to Gwen Cat, a show where I talk about whatever. I realized that saying that I'm talking about nothing detracts from whatever I'm talking about because it is something, especially today's episode. I don't know if you know- oh, sorry, first, can I get a little commotion for the hair? Bangs are back, baby. I actually went to therapy yesterday and I like walked into my therapist's office and I realized that we have the exact same haircut now. <laughs> I don't know if you know this. If you don't know me in real life, then you probably don't, but I'm a communications major. And before you get all up in arms, I'm also a history major, which I think makes it a little bit better. Not like useful history though, just like ancient history. So jot that down. But for one of my classes, um, spring quarter, cause I get easy to run the quarter system. Hurts my soul. Anyways, so spring quarter of last school year, I took a class on propaganda and persuasion. It's really cool, really good class, really good professor. And for our final project, we had to do a case study on an instance, like a large instance of propaganda or persuasion. And I was like, this is a great opportunity for me to talk about one of my favorite things ever. Multi-level marketing schemes. More, more precisely, pyramid schemes. So that's just what I did. And I had a bit of a hard time choosing one because originally I wanted to do Herbalife because there was an Herbalife um, epidemic in my hometown. They like start, like the smoothie shop started popping up and it was like the bright blue smoothies and like everybody was working there. So I wanted to choose something good and fun and interesting. It was hard to find enough information on Herbalife though. I didn't want to do like Avon or Mary Kay. Like that just didn't feel like fun enough for me but then I remembered one silly little business that exists and still exists to this day LuLaRoe if you don't know LuLaRoe is a clothing brand known for their you know like the galaxy leggings they're selling that kind of stuff I'll throw up some of the images of their clothes they do the maxi skirts the lots of like cotton or is it rayon as well the stretchy stuff stretchy comfortable clothes for women and it got huge and then some things happened and it stopped being so cool and a lot of people got sued and a lot of people uh threw away their life savings and more and i was like this is perfect to talk about and I, recently i was reading back on my paper and i was like this would be fun to talk about because I already know so much about it. Did that mean I didn't have to do like four hours of research? No, but that's okay um, because now I know even more. So I, I did actually own a LuLaRoe shirt. Um, <laughs> I'll throw it up here. Okay, first of all, hold your horses. It was thrifted. I didn't know it was LuLaRoe when I got it. They didn't get any of my money. Second of all, I ended up copying it and it kind of slayed. Not gonna lie, I tried to throw a girl boss sticker on that third, <laughs> but all of the girl boss stickers on Canva required a pro subscription, and I think that's very girl boss. So 
I digress. If you haven't watched it already, I do really recommend Amazon's docu-series called Lula Rich. It gives a really good view into the way that LuLaRoe operated and was able to get away with everything that they got away with. Um, and the best part, in my opinion, is that they're interviewing the founders throughout the whole documentary. It interviews women that were part of the downlines that I'll talk about later and interviewed people that worked for corporate LuLaRoe. And it was just a deeply, deeply exploitative, just insidious organization ran by the two owners, Deanne and Mark Steidem. So we're going to get started diving into my paper because since I'm just so silly and goofy, I was reading it back and I was like, I kind of wrote this as like a script. So I made a little changes, made a little silly goofies to remove like, oh, reference three articles from class. I don't think that you want to hear about a Benoit and Benoit article on the difference between propaganda and persuasion. That doesn't sound very interesting. It sure wasn't interesting to me. Hey, girly, I have an amazing business opportunity for you. The words ring clear through the direct message inboxes of millions of women across America. Whether they're promoting skincare, non-FDA approved supplements, or low quality clothing, it doesn't matter. The goal is always the same. Get people to join as independent retailers peddling a product that is incapable of being peddled by itself. LuLaRoe does have modest roots as a clothing reseller, mother of 14, is that correct? I'm pretty sure that is correct. That's why I'm writing that back. That's a lot of... Yes, because... Sorry. Yeah, they all ended up working for her. So, mother of 14, Dan Stedham. She goes to a swap meet, finds a bunch of really cool clothes, and is like, wait, I could resell these to the women in, like, my community and make money from this. So she ends up doing that kind of, like, Tupperware-style parties where she buys all these clothes, sets it up in her house. She goes to other houses as well and has women come and buy the clothing. And it goes really, really well for her. She eventually ends up expanding and I believe a woman comes to her and is like, I would love to sell some of your clothes. So she sells some of the clothes to her and the woman sells clothes to others. And that expands the web and more and more people want to join and it snowballs into this pyramid with Deanne at the top, her downline, their downline, their downline, and everybody is trying to sell LuLaRoe products to women below them in the downline so that they can sell them. Because the problem with LuLaRoe and many other pyramid schemes is that they're not making money from selling their clothing to people. They're making it by selling it to these women who are in turn going to sell it. But here's the thing. You don't sell the clothing. LuLaRoe doesn't have any responsibility to compensate you in any way. So this is the first thing that I wanted to talk about. I just wanted to add a couple things. First, the whole reason that they started getting sued in the first place and that they were talking about in the LuLaRoe documentary was because they edited their policy and put in a clause that said, if you want to return your LuLaRoe merchandise, then at any time you can just send it back to us and we'll take it. And so obviously a ton of people were like, shit, like this is my opportunity, I have to get out. And then they started to kind of go back on this and say, oh, wait, no, no, this isn't, you have to do these things and it made it very, very difficult to actually get the returns. And that's why they, and that's where a lot of the controversy with them comes from, because they had this clause that said any merchandise, any point of time, this doesn't expire. And then they were like, oh, never mind. So the issue with this form of downlining 
comes when the women at the bottom of the food chain are subjected to what can be referred to in non-exaggerated ways, financial and emotional ruin. LuLaRoe preyed on vulnerable women, mostly mothers, who are in need of extra money uh, to support their families, who didn't have a sense of community, and LuLaRoe sold that. They sold a sense of community. There's all of these amazing women, all of these girl boss babes, who are selling clothing, and you can too, and you can provide for your family. And that was really appealing. I mean, if I was at, stuck at home with my kids all day, that would be very appealing to me as well. I think anybody who was in that situation of isolation, it's, it's a good deal. You're making money. You're still able to be at home with your kids. You're still able to fill, fill your motherly duties. But you also get to hang out with other like-minded women and make some cash. In the Lula Rich documentary, there is a journalist, Jill Filipovic, I'm sorry if I pronounced that incorrectly, recounts how the most interesting part of the Lula Rose story and the story of so many MLMs is the place where American capitalists and consumerist aspirations crash into our stubborn enforcement of traditional gender roles. How we still fetishize full-time motherhood and consider it to be an end-all be-all of female ambition, while also living in a nation obsessed with buying selling, entrepreneurship, and the myth of the self-made woman. Uh, Julie Miller of Vanity Fair corroborates this. Editing Katie again, this actually isn't from Vanity Fair. This is from the Alderwicker article that I discuss later in the podcast. And as you can see, if you're watching, you can see that I cite um, them directly saying how that's how it is often sold you're going to stay home with your family you're going to get to participate in the american dream lularoe represents a larger cultural problem of targeting vulnerable women and mothers as a means of exploitation under a capitalist society that relies on child rearing as an endless source of new workers there's no room for support and appreciation of mothers there's no room for empowerment or value women are to be making babies taking care of their families and husbands, and zipping it shut. This creates a path for organizations like LuLaRoe to extract from these women who find hope, and this is also another quote from Julie Miller of Vanity Fair, who find hope in their promises of a better life, freedom, economic independence, and an endless supply of cheery trinkets. Which, me too, girl, me too. So, the way, how you, <laughs> let's start over. So you might be asking, Katie, this actually sounds like a great business opportunity. I would love to get involved in LuLaRoe. How do I do this? Don't worry. It's simple. Just put $5,000 up front to procure your merchandise. And then you're in. Actually, this is semi-reductive. So when LuLaRoe was getting really big, there was a wait list you had to be on. And part of the problem that they did end up facing was that they were onboarding women too fast to keep up with the amount of product that they had to buy and distribute. So they were putting out all of this really shitty product that all of these women were buying for 5,000 US American dollars. And then they, they either couldn't sell the clothing or you know they ended up with ugly clothing and there was nothing you could do about it. They, they grew too fast, they didn't scale effectively, which happens to the best of us, honestly. By having this wait list and having such a high entrance fee, LuLaRoe kind of stole the idea of being one of their partners as a privilege to be a part of their little league of girl bosses. It's a privilege. You're lucky if we let you sell our clothing. And a lot of women really felt that way. And again, completely understandable. That is fair and valid. And again, I'm sure that many of us would feel the same way too. LuLaRoe created an attitude of opportunity, one that is only actually real 
for the upper echelon of the organization and pyramid. They, they lied about the opportunity at hand. There were women making thousands of dollars a month through commission of their downline, but you know, 97.65% of the women were making less than $75,000 a year. And um, this edit just makes me mad because I literally have no idea where I got that 97.65% number. I like looked it up. I couldn't, I couldn't find it. I'm don't know how I got an A on this project anyways. And a lot of these women work now working more than full time trying to run their LuLaRoe business, getting rid of this merchandise that they got, half of which is incredibly ugly or just, I don't even know how the sizing worked. I don't think they got to choose what size. Well, they probably got to for some extent, but like, you know, you have a, a small shirt in this one and maybe your large and medium ones sold, but nobody wants a small one. So now you just have the small one and they cycle through styles. So you can't get the same style twice. You just have to hope, like, let's say you have one that does really well and people want more of it. That sucks. You can't get it. There's this, uh, you know, they create this scarcity that isn't, it's technically real. They don't have more of it, but they could. It's not like it's actually gone. It's like, these are, you know, $15 t-shirts. They're not difficult to manufacture. Much of the way that LuLaRoe was able to get such deeply loyal cult-like commitment um, through their members, and I want to deeply, deeply emphasize cult-like, was by creating a diehard group of women that would do anything to defend their company. That's from Alder Wicker's article, multi-level marketing companies like LuLaRoe are forcing people into debt and psychological crisis for courts. All of these articles that I'm mentioning, I will link below. So the upline was a huge perpetrator of this. <sighs> Let me backtrack. They cr really created a sense of we're right. Anybody that tries to say that LuLaRoe is doing something wrong or shady, they're the problem. They're, they wish that they have what you have and you need to defend what you have. And this was really, you know, kind of pushed especially by the upline with one woman that Wicker interviewed for his article saying how the culture among the higher-ups was, we're going to find you, stalk you, tell on you. How dare you guys say a single bad word? We're going to shame you. This selective attention paid to the positive numbers while ignoring the thousands of women falling into serious debt, losing their homes, etc. The defense of the product and the company across seller groups on social media, the cherry-picking of information presented to paint a really beautiful picture of the LuLaRoe life is key to their business model. So as the documentary describes, the actions of LuLaRoe founders Dean and Mark Steidem seemed to take on a different energy as the business progressed, as they gained more traction. So one of the things I would do is I'd have these huge um, conferences, conventions for LuLaRoe founders. I think one of the original ones, I had Mario Lopez there, which is very funny and a very interesting instance of life crossovers. So as these conferences became bigger and bigger, it, it was a it was huge. They, these conferences were giant. They were expensive. These women, especially women with children, were, you know, taking time off of their lives, probably hiring babysitters, spending a lot of money on tickets, hotels, food, drink, having fun. Like, like this. I didn't even write this down, but let me div diverge for a second. Part of the thing with LuLaRoe is that it relied on lonely mothers to, you know, come into their downline. And these kind of conference opportunities were one of the only opportunities that these women had to go and like really party with other women their age again. Like, you know, 
I don't want to get, I'm talk about this more later. Um, and I don't want to get too into it now, but there really is a difference in the way that men and women are allowed to socialize with their friends um, outside of office hours. And I am including being a mother in office hours because it's a full-time fucking job. And so this was a really separate opportunity. This was different for for women, especially women that were not employed traditionally in an office or didn't have to leave the house and not have to being, didn't have to for their work. This was an opportunity and women were desperate to go on these trips. And I mean, damn, it would too. It seems kind of fun if you're like really into it. But as these conferences became bigger, um, Mark actually began to preach passages from the Book of Mormon at their conventions, which is so unsurprising. It's so, so, so unsurprising, so unsurprising. But anyways, so religion, obviously, uh, in the documentary, they talk about this. Sorry, docuseries. Um, They talk about this, and people remember it, women that were there remember it as odd. But it, you know, it was not, of course, enough to dissuade them. Deanne took a more personal approach in her weirdness and started coercing women uh, near, closer to the top of the pyramid to do certain things to keep her favor. What, what is this, you ask? Weight loss surgery. I find this to be particularly sinister for a couple reasons. First, as they describe in the docuseries, Dan was encouraging these women to visit a plastic surgeon in Mexico, meaning hundreds if not thousands of miles of travel for most of these women. And of course, getting surgeries in a different country holds a whole different host of complications or, you know, a whole different host of risks separate from the risks you already have from the surgery. So you're taking time off, you're traveling to a different country to see a surgeon, and, and then you have to somehow get home. According to UCLA Health, the gastric sleeve is a relatively safe surgery and performed laparoscopically, though I do believe that they might have been getting bypassed, which is different. If it is, editing Katie will do a little magic. Hi there, it's editing Katie. Excuse my everything. I'm experiencing womanhood. But yes, this was this was correct. Thank you for making me clarify past Katie. I appreciate that. But they note that it doesn't remove the risk for side effects. You can still experience leakage from your staple lines, strictures and stenosis, bleeding, not to mention that many bariatric patients end up regaining the weight they initially lose and more years after the surgery is done because as we know, obesity isn't just a, oh, I'm just gonna eat more and become obese. No, it's a disease. It is a very complicated, multifaceted disease. And for, if you don't, treat the root cause then you're not you know you you have a risk of not having a successful surgery and that's you're back at square one you've lost thousands of dollars travel all of it and just because you want Deanne Steitem to like you hi there guys it's editing Katie again I wanted to add that it wasn't so much that they were getting or considering getting these surgeries because they wanted Deanne to like them it was a lot more than that. It was that they were risking losing their place in her circle and losing her favor and putting their jobs and positions in serious risk if they didn't get the surgery or consider it or play into it. It wasn't just wanting her to like you. It was a lot more serious than that. And I wanted to make that clarification. Not to mention that it's recommended that you don't fly for at least six to eight weeks following your surgery. And we know that many of these women have kids and families and responsibilities that they just can't take a couple months off from. Now, to my knowledge, none of the LuLaRoe women experience severe complications 
following surgery. I'm not actually sure how many of them got it. But that doesn't detract from the heinous nature of this situation because they could have. They very well could have. That's not out of the realm of possibility. And I'm sure if more and more women ended up getting it um, at the suggestion of Deanne that they would have suffered. Um, there would have been people suffering complications. I don't know. Just like imagine you're going to your shift at Starbucks and the manager's like, hey, girl, I really love the work you've been doing recently. You're bringing a lot to the table. But honestly, you should really considering surgically removing your hand and replacing it with a sugar-free vanilla pump instead. Um, it's kind of like a bit of a deal breaker if you don't, or don't really want you to like hang out with us after work if you don't do this. Like, it, it, that's the thing. That's the thing, too, is it wasn't just, oh, you should do this. It was... It was malicious. It was, if you don't do this, Deanne like, made this group chat with all these women. I think they were like, I can't even remember something that had the word skinnies in it. It was gross. It was a thing where it's like, if you don't get this, then you are on my bad side. Which is, she's, oh God, this woman. She's really just given me so much content. I found this quote from Reagan Chastain's 2018 article for Ravishly. Uh... LuLaRoe founder profits from sending consultants to Mexico for weight loss surgery, really kind of sealing the point on this. She says, not happy enough with cheating fat consultants out of their money through her pyramid scheme, LuLaRoe's leader was making $1,000 a pop for sending fat independent cons consultants to Mexico to have a surgery that may leave them thin, maimed, or dead. So, apparently, the surgery cost either four or $5,000, I can't remember. Deanne was charging them five or $6,000 so that she could make a thousand dollars off of each of these women. That's crazy. I, I think this kind of sums up Mark and Deanne's philosophy when it comes to running their business. They're interested in portraying the image that they want and gaining the income they feel they deserve, no matter the price, to the incredibly hardworking middle-class women that they employ. And I say that with heavy quotation marks because of how predatory it is. Um, her article is really re excellently written. I do recommend checking it out. Um, it's linked in the description. Continuing from my paper, though. The case of LuLaRoe tells a larger story about the difficult reality for millions of mothers across America. Our social support networks are failing, and so many women are left without the community, purpose, and love they need to conduct full, purposeful lives. One of the common themes for nearly all of the women interviewed for the documentary, and many of the sources I used, was that they were stuck at home, alone, with the kids, with the threat of financial doom looming over them. Women, especially as mothers, are subject to such violent hatred by everyone, including other mothers, just for anything they do. One of my favorite quotes of all time from anything comes from Bonnie Burstow's radical feminist theory working in the context of violence. It reads, Often father and daughter look down on mother together. They exchange meaningful glances when she misses a point. They agree that she is not as bright as they are, cannot reason as they do. This collusion does not save the daughter from the mother's fate. Women, especially as mothers, face such a deep burden, not just physically to their children and for straight women, the primary victims of this specific kind of loneliness, but emotional burden as well. There's this expectation of mothers to know exactly what to do and be perfect at all times. Our idea of what it means to be a perfect mother, whether it be gentle parenting or allowing your babies to engage in tummy time or whatever is the constantly evolving idea of what it means to be a perfect mother, what it means to raise a child correctly, is always under such a microscope. Not to mention that stay-at-home moms are constantly demeaned for not providing financially to the home while also being ridiculed if they decide to seek out work. There's literally no winning for mothers. 
It is a thankless, demanding job. Deanne and Mark preyed on this aggressively and violently to extract every last bit of energy, time, commitment, and money from these women. <clears throat> like, I think back to my mom. She was our primary caregiver since my dad got home late from work basically every day. Thank you, Westbound Pike Traffic out of Boston. But she was also working as a personal trainer part-time during the day, doing all of the shopping, carting my sister and I's asses around, and still made us healthy home-cooked meals basically every single night. She was part of a dance troupe for a big part of my childhood, but like, that's not enough socialization, you know? Like, they hung out, but it wasn't enough. And at the time, I didn't really see and appreciate that. I think it's that it, I think that it's hard when you're a kid, and I don't blame myself for that. But like, looking back at it, my dad was probably working like 45, 50 hours a week, and my mom was still doing significantly more labor than him. When men go to work, they get to be adults all day. They can go, you know, for lunch or drinks after work, talk about adult subjects. Like, it's completely and wholly separated from their home lives, while mothers are not afforded that luxury. And it makes the prospect of earning income while still being able to complete your motherly duties, motherly duties, near irresistible. I could talk about the expectations of adult women and mothers endlessly, and maybe I'll make a video about that too. Let me know if you'd like to see that. I have a lot to say, but these women, like desperate for connection, are left so vulnerable to these tactics that MLMs and pyramid schemes deploy um, to get you sucked in. And I also didn't know this, but apparently the National Down Syndrome Society terminated its relationship with LuLaRoe after one of the top distributors after one of LuLaRoe's top distributors mocked people with mental disabilities during a live stream sale, which is bizarre. I feel like they might have mentioned this in the docuseries. I'm not positive. LuLaRoe, however, is still in business. They have a C rating from the Better Business Bureau, which... Eh, the Gap has a C-, minus, which I don't know how that is possibly lower than LuLaRoe, when their only crime was trying to imitate the famous Tumblr kid standing in front of a fence picture. I think that companies like LuLaRoe, Herbalife, Avon, um, are symptom a much larger systematic issue that ultimately comes down to how we view and treat mothers, the expectations placed on mothers, whether they're in healthy, productive relationships that value equal distribution of labor or not, are crushing. It is unavoidable and isolating and distressing, and companies like LuLaRoe use them as a financial tap, which as I was writing this, I was like, I bet I could do an episode on maple syrup. I, I think I could make 30 minutes of content about maple syrup in the country of Canada, not the time, anyways. But anyways, let me know what you think about LuLaRoe. I'd love to hear your thoughts. I have so many. But don't don't forget to leave a cheeky little rating. Uh, like, subscribe if you're feeling so inclined. And I will see you guys next time. Bye!